Section 55 of the Expedition of Humphrey Clinker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Deborah Lynn. The Expedition of Humphrey Clinker by Tobias Smollett. Section 55. To Dr. Lewis. Dear Lewis, that part of Scotland contiguous to Berwick nature seems to have intended as a barrier between two hostile nations. It is a brown desert of considerable extent that produces nothing but heath and fern, and what rendered it the more dreary when we passed, there was a thick fog that hindered us from seeing above twenty yards from the carriage. My sister began to make wry faces and use her smelling-bottle. Liddy looked blank, and Mrs. Jenkins dejected. But in a few hours these clouds were dissipated, and the sea appeared upon our right, and on the left the mountains retired a little, leaving an agreeable plain betwixt them and the beach. But what surprised us all, this plain, to the extent of several miles, was covered with as fine wheat as ever I saw in the most fertile parts of South Britain. This plentiful crop is raised in the open field without any enclosure or other manure than the algae marina or seaweed which abounds on this coast, a circumstance which shews that the soil and climate are favourable but that agriculture in this country is not yet brought to that perfection which it has attained in England. Enclosures would not only keep the grounds warm and the several fields distinct, but would also protect the crop from the high winds which are so frequent in this part of the island. Dunbar is well situated for trade, and has a curious basin, where ships of small burthen may be perfectly secure, but there is little appearance of business in the place. From thence, all the way to Edinburgh, there is a continual succession of fine seats belonging to noblemen and gentlemen, and as each is surrounded by its own parks and plantation, they produce a very pleasing effect in a country which lies otherwise open and exposed. At Dunbar there is a noble park with a lodge belonging to the Duke of Roxburgh, where Oliver Cromwell had his headquarters, when Leslie, at the head of a Scotch army, took possession of the mountains in the neighbourhood, and hampered him in such a manner that he would have been obliged to embark and get away by sea, had not the fanaticism of the enemy forfeited the advantage which they had obtained by their general's conduct. Their ministers, by exhortation, prayer, assurance, and prophecy, instigated them to go down and slay the Philistines in Gilgal, and they quitted their ground accordingly, notwithstanding all that Leslie could do to restrain the madness of their enthusiasm. When Oliver saw them in motion, he exclaimed, Praised be the Lord, he hath delivered them into the hands of his servant, and ordered his troops to sing a psalm of thanksgiving, while they advanced in order to the plain where the Scots were routed with great slaughter. In the neighbourhood of Haddington there is a gentleman's house, in the building of which, and the improvements about it, he is said to have expended forty thousand pounds. But I cannot say I was much pleased with either the architecture or the situation, though it has in front a pastoral stream, the banks of which are laid out in a very agreeable manner. I intended to pay my respects to Lord Ellibank, whom I had the honour to know at London many years ago. He lives in this part of Lothian, but was gone to the north on a visit. You have often heard me mention this nobleman, whom I have long revered for his humanity and universal intelligence, over and above the entertainment arising from originality of his character. At Musselboro, however, I had the good fortune to drink tea with my old friend Mr. Cardinal, and at his house I met with Dr. C., the parson of the parish, whose humour and conversation inflamed me with a desire of being better acquainted with his person. I am not at all surprised that these Scots make their way in every quarter of the globe. 
This place is but four miles from Edinburgh, towards which we proceeded along the seashore, upon a firm bottom of smooth sand, which the tide had left uncovered in its retreat. Edinburgh, from this avenue, is not seen to much advantage. We had only an imperfect view of the castle and upper parts of the town, which varied incessantly according to the inflections of the road, and exhibited the appearance of detached spires and turrets belonging to some magnificent edifice in ruins. The palace of Holyrood House stands on the left as you enter the cannon gate. This is a street continued from hence to the gate called Nether Bow, which is now taken away, so that there is no interruption for a long mile from the bottom to the top of the hill on which the castle stands in a most imperial situation. Considering its fine pavement, its width, and the lofty houses on each side, this would be undoubtedly one of the noblest streets in Europe, if an ugly mass of mean buildings, called the Luckenbooths, had not thrust itself, by what accident I know not, into the middle of the way, like Middle Row in Holborn. The city stands upon two hills, and the bottom between them, and with all its defects may very well pass for the capital of a moderate kingdom. It is full of people, and continually resounds with the noise of coaches and other carriages, for luxury as well as commerce. As far as I can perceive, here is no want of provisions. The beef and mutton are as delicate here as in Wales. The sea affords plenty of good fish, the bread is remarkably fine, and the water is excellent, though I am afraid not in sufficient quantity to answer all the purposes of cleanliness and convenience, articles in which, it must be allowed, our fellow-subjects are a little defective. The water is brought in leaden pipes from a mountain in the neighbourhood, to a cistern on the castle hill, from whence it is distributed to public conduits in different parts of the city. From these it is carried in barrels, on the backs of male and female porters, up two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight pairs of stairs, for the use of particular families. Every story is a complete house, occupied by a separate family and the stair being common to them all is generally left in a very filthy condition. A man must tread with great circumspection to get safe housed with unpolluted shoes. Nothing can form a stronger contrast than the difference betwixt the outside and inside of the door, for the good women of this metropolis are remarkably nice in the ornaments and propriety of their apartments, as if they were resolved to transfer the imputation from the individual to the public. You are no stranger to their method of discharging all their impurities from their windows at a certain hour of the night, as the custom is in Spain, Portugal, and some parts of France and Italy, a practice to which I can by no means be reconciled, for notwithstanding all the care that is taken by their scavengers to remove this nuisance every morning by break of day, enough still remains to offend the eyes as well as other organs of those whom use has not hardened against all delicacy of sensation." The inhabitants seem insensible to these impressions, and are apt to imagine the disgust that we avow is little better than affectation. But they ought to have some compassion for strangers who have not been used to this kind of sufferance, and consider whether it may not be worth while to take some pains to vindicate themselves from the reproach that, on this account, they bear among their neighbours. As to the surprising height of their houses, it is absurd in many respects, but in one particular light I cannot view it without horror. That is, the dreadful situation of all the families above, in case the common staircase should be rendered impassable by a fire in the lower stories. In order to prevent the shocking consequences that must attend such an accident, it would be a right measure to open doors of communication from one house to another on every story, by which the people might fly from such a terrible visitation. 
in all parts of the world we see the force of habit prevailing over all the dictates of convenience and sagacity all the people of business at edinburgh and even the genteel company may be seen standing in crowds every day from one to two in the afternoon in the open street at a place where formerly stood a market cross which by the by was a curious piece of gothic architecture still to be seen in lord somerville's garden in this neighbourhood i say the people stand in the open street from the force of custom rather than move a few yards to an exchange that stands empty on one side or to the parliament close on the other which is a noble square adorned with a fine equestrian statue of king charles the second the company thus assembled are entertained with a variety of tunes played upon a set of bells fixed in a steeple hard by as these bells are well toned and the musician who has a salary from the city for playing upon them with keys is no bad performer the entertainment is really agreeable and very striking to the ears of a stranger the public inns of edinburgh are still worse than those of london but by means of a worthy gentleman to whom i was recommended we have got decent lodgings in the house of a widow gentlewoman of the name of lockhart and here i shall stay until i have seen everything that is remarkable in and about this capital i now begin to feel the good effects of exercise i eat like a farmer sleep from midnight till eight in the morning without interruption and enjoy a constant tide of spirits equally distant from inanition and excess but whatever ebbs or flows my constitution may undergo my heart will still declare that i am dear lewis your affectionate friend and servant matt bramble e d r july eighteen end of section fifty five